Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, he treats me like a commodity. Give me a speck on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old, don't know value. Welcome, everybody, to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about customer perceived value and growing your customer's business to grow your business. I'm Mark Boundy, your host, and I am thrilled today to have Dan Silverberg. Dan is a uh, career innovator, career business grower. Um, he specializes in exponential growth of, of businesses through reframing how they think of their business. Dan, welcome. Hey, Mark. It's great to be with you today. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to have you here. We've had some great introductory conversations, and I wanted to bring your perspective and your wisdom uh, to my audience. So thanks for making the time. Oh, so thank you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of your history and, and what brings you to this point in, in your evolution? Sure. Well, why don't we start today, and then we can go back a little bit. So the way movies work is we kind of give you the end and then we'll get into the story. So um, I'm 70 years old. I've had a pretty storied career of 40 years in business. And I got to a point where, unlike a lot of my friends that wanted to retire, I still have the energy of a 20-year-old. And so I've decided this is my give back. This is me leaving a footprint here. This is giving back um, and creating legacy in a way that I had lots of opportunities and, and experiences, and I'd like to share those with others, and if that helps them to have a bigger life or get more on purpose, then that's what I want to do. So um, just by way of, of quick things, I'm not a person who's an incrementalist. I'm not a person who chose a particular industry and went A to B to C to D. I've played in multiple industries. I've played in multiple channels of distribution. I've run global businesses. I have a business consulting background with the big five. I'm, I'm uh, with A.T. Kearney and trained in McKinsey methodologies. I've spent 40 years in personal growth and development. I lead men's works globally. When I was 23 years old, I got my first division presidency and started a new market in the uh, apparel industry. That got me up to a company called Levi Strauss. Um, I got hired and in the six weeks between I got hired and I actually showed up, they put a new boss in and the new boss basically on the first day told me he didn't like my division. And here I am, I'm 26 years old. I have a, I have a townhouse in Sausalito overlooking the bay. I have an Alfa Romeo, I'm single, I'm in San Francisco, I'm making ridiculous amounts of money with stock options, and the first day I get there, my boss is telling me he doesn't even like what I'm doing. So I got a couple of days, and um, I went back to him, and I said, I know this is a shitty little $7 million business, but if you give me a chance, by the end of the year, in 12 months, I'll have it at $50 million. And the guy was stunned. And I walked him through all of the assumptive base of what I would done. And 
he was with it. And he's like, great, I'd love to see it. Well, three years later, that $7 million business was 130 million in my little segment. And as we built segments around that, it became a half a billion dollar business in a $2 billion company, right? So part of my gift and, and capability is looking at a lot of different data points, synthesizing them, and actually coming up with a very focused plan on how to exponentially grow businesses. Um, another one that I did was a global brand turnaround. And this was a mid-market company that had been started by an individual. And at the age of 73, Goldman Sachs sold it to a Malaysian company. And I was brought in as CEO to turn that business around. It was operating in 125 countries. It had five years of secular decline in every metric that you can look at. And within six months, we had double digit increases in it. Um, that was one where we took a look at revenue growth, brought in new categories. We looked at cost of goods and re-engineered a supply chain with our uh, vendors. And we also looked at the operational performance and actually scaled it down uh, to be much more efficient and effective. And so that business grew about $40 million within 12 months and went from being unprofitable to profitable. So you know, that's- Go ahead. So that, that's kind of what I really enjoy doing is my goal right now is to train the next generation of leaders to think about the new world that we're going into. You know, when I was in business school, they told, they told us that you aren't getting a major at Michigan Business School. You'll, we'll get you a concentration, but your value to the business world is a synthesizer. It's making connections. Uh, and I've watched a lot of my colleagues go out into the world and be specialists in a silo, specialist in a function, rather than synthesizers. And so your skill set, you know, when you were at one place uh, growing the, the uh, division within uh, Levi Strauss one way, and then going to another company and synthesizing and finding that there was a growth opportunity by re-engineering a supply chain, that's a synthesizer. That's somebody that thinks the way that the business school dean wanted all of their business school graduates to, to, to think and, and don't. I can only assume that the Dean will be calling me to give the next commencement address. <laughs> uh, Different Dean now, but he might. Um, yeah. Well, so yeah, one of the I, I'm, I'm too have... old to have it be the same Dean. <laughs> so one of the, you bring up a really good point. So um, I'll give you another one. When I graduated from college, my first job, I moved to Beverly Hills and I had no idea what, I, I was an English major. I never took a business course. I had no idea what business was other than the family at the dinner table talking about it, right? So I didn't take an accounting course. I didn't take a marketing course, nothing. So I end up at this uh, men's clothing store in Beverly Hills in 1972, selling suits off the rack for $2,500 a pop. Today, that would be about $10,000 a suit. And so my clients were the Hollywood elite. They were people like Jerry Saunders, who was the CEO at AMD, Charles Keating, who got put in jail for the SNL fraud game. So this was the creme de la creme of people. Yeah. I hated selling clothes. 
So what I did is I just talked to them about them, their CEOs, they're lonely. And I wanted to know what did it take to become a CEO? What do you look for in the people that you promote and you hire? And I have these books of all of the things that they told me about high energy level and what. And so I got this sort of MBA, PhD mentoring from the elite. And wow. I think that really set me on this path to be able to think differently. Also, as an English major, one of the things you need to do is you need to see all the symbols and all the themes. And there's a whole thing of synthesis if you're going to write a really good paper. So without really intending it, a lot of the background kind of came um, just through those experiences. But my, my real gift is this ability because of the business consulting to slice and dice an industry, the ability to look at what is being done, what works and what's less effective. And I think the biggest thing for companies today is focus. Yeah. If you talk to most people, they're on overwhelm. It's a fire drill every day. And I think as I told you in the pre-meeting, if you were to go to most companies and talk to the C-level group and just ask them three questions, what's your mission? What's the company vision? And what are the three priorities for 2020? The likelihood of getting those nine people to say the same thing is zero. And I've yeah. done it over and over and over. And so, that's, that's part of the new world that I think is going to be emerging. Yeah. We, we, another thing we talked about that I think is really important for my audience that, uh, that we have talked about is that many companies uh, have divided themselves into functions and they optimize for functions and or sub functions or sub sub functions or soda straws within the sub 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 function. Right. And there are technology solutions that are point solutions for each of those. And the big technology might be your entire silo, but between those um, silos, we don't communicate very well. There's, you know, books on de-siloing organizations, but we've actually reinforced the siloing with the technology solutions. And we have a technology solution in marketing automation that doesn't talk particularly well with the marketing solution in sales or, or the sales solution in sales or the customer support solution or, or on and on or the MRP system. And so we've got technology islands that don't speak to each other, which reinforces the fact that the people don't talk to each other. Right. So let, let me frame this. So the world that I grew up in over the last 40 years was hierarchical, right? Everybody had a layout. Here's the CEO at the top, and then here's the CFO and the CMO, and then here's the people that report underneath. And it was a very hierarchical game. And if you're somewhat of a cynic like I am and somewhat sarcastic, what you would understand is that information is power. And so the only people who get to see holistically the business are the people at the top. And so silos really were created, in my opinion, because that was a way of disempowering. I actually was lucky. I grew up in a business where I started cleaning toilets 
And then I ended up in a pattern room in the apparel business. And then I ended up in the warehouse. And then I ended up in finance. And I actually got this holistic view and was very good at understanding if I pulled the lever over here, it had four different effects going down the line. People aren't trained for that today. No, right? they aren't. And, and so they... Yeah. So they go ahead and they do what they do in these silos. From the IT perspective and software, we were brought up in a world of best in class. So if Salesforce is best in class in CRM, that's what we do. If SAP or Oracle is, is best in ERP, that's what we do. If there's a manufact Manhattan in manufacturing and warehouse, then we buy that one. So in those worlds, 80% of an IT budget can be spent just on maintenance and upkeep. That takes away from innovation. It takes away from new thought pattern. And so that is the old world. So the world that I see post-COVID, this pyramid, this top-down command control, do as you're told, leave your brain at the door, be political, that is slowly crumbling underneath it. We see it in our government institutions. We see it with the inability to really manage COVID um, from a holistic. We have the NIH, we have the FDA, we have the CDC. They come out, they change their minds, right? It's iterative. So we are moving now. Two things are going to change the world in the world of business. One is AI and the other is blockchain. And the great thing about blockchain is it's all about individual empowerment, right? So in wanting to train new leadership, it's actually creating these neural nets. We've heard of ecosystems, but it's going to be the neural net. It's going to be the collective intelligence. So we're moving from, I'm the smartest guy in the room, and therefore I'm gonna have power to a collective intelligence where the collective intelligence is going to require that you show up with your gifts, with your light, with your brilliance, with your ideation. And in this collective, the human bias is actually gonna get diminished and best practice and best thought is gonna emerge. Yeah, there's a bunch of things to unpack there. Uh, one random thought I had was, in the hierarchical situation where people at the top have all the information, the fact is they don't. I've been in companies where uh, my boss told uh, a colleague, this is the uh, marketing study I want you to put out. Cherry pick this number and this number and this number. That way this product project gets funded for $20 million. That happens too. Right? <laughs> and so they, they, process all the information but they only think they have the information and, and we can see uh count you know time after time that the leader is victim to the agenda of the information provider um you know weapons of mass destruction you know on and on and on right right and so that's one thought uh the other thought is Man, the, this vision of the learning organization, the the where distrib learning is distributed, mm -hmm. is my vision as well. But how do you get a leader 
who is steeped and marinated in the Kool-Aid of uh, hierarchical and, and being in the indispensable cog in the wheel, right? Uh, how do you get them to get wrap their head around and get comfortable with the fact that the people talking to the customers know more about the customer, the people talking to the supply chain know more about the supply chain. Right. And so. Okay. This is a dirty little secret. I don't believe that the Jack Welch's of the world and the CEOs that are 60 years and older, which is a lot of what runs corporate America. If you are skilled in hierarchy, bureaucracy, and all of that, your time has come. You will not be the person. That's why I'm, I'm saying I want to train the new generation of leaders. These will be accomplished, self-actualized people. They could be in their 20s with startups. They could be in their 30s, maybe even 40. But if you've got 25 years in an organization and you're institutionalized, you're not it. And we see that actually in our politics today. Our choice is a 77-year-old institutionalist and a 74-year-old brat, right? So have your pick at it. Nancy Pelosi is 80. Steny Hoyer is 79. James Clyburn is 78. This is part of the unfolding of what's going to happen. And so it may take an election. It might take two, but it's going to change. The technology, the speed of the revolution in that, the social unrest, the globalization, this ecosystem of building global play, that game isn't going to work anymore. And yeah. so what you're going to see is that the companies on S&P, you know how it used to be like 60 years, they could stay. Now it's 60 minutes. So if you want, <laughs> no, really, it's, it's a very shortened life cycle. Yeah. And so it's going, to, it's going to be this new generation. That's what's so exciting to me, right? Yeah. And it's kind of, I'm, on the one hand, I'm demeaning 70-year-old people, and then I'm claiming that I can actually train people. Yeah. But uh, that's, that's the game. We have to get out of this old paradigm. You know, I think that there are tools now that, it, it used to be that the salesperson had a conversation and they took notes and it was in their personal possession and and they interpreted what their boss would see would be interested in seeing who interpreted what his boss would be interested in seeing so you have steps and steps of filtering and right. trying to guess what your boss wants to see and now that isn't necessary because we're capturing in real time and rather than having humans interpret at each successive step, we're going to, we'll have tools that allow uh, all of it to come in and to assimilate it into what's going to be a different picture. Um, I have, I tell this story, not very often, thank goodness, but the decision is the result or the decision process is the result when uh my first marriage we had kids and we had a tradition of going out to dinner every sunday night and so when we were driving home from church uh we would start an all afternoon argument about where we would go and 95 percent of the time the least common denominator that was not objectionable to anybody was what was chosen. So 95% of the time we ended up 
saying, all right, let's just go to Chili's because everybody could live with Chili's. And we were all sick of Chili's, but that's where we kept on going until we changed the decision process where we took turns. Mom, you choose this week. Dad chooses next week. Tom chooses this week. Matt chooses this week. And we're going to rotate. And, you, and each person took the opportunity. I think we had Chili's. After we started that, we went to Chili's maybe once or twice just for old time's sake and kind of enjoyed it. But every week we went someplace new that three, two or three of us had never heard of before. And we, 100% of the time, we walked out of those meals saying, what a great experience, what a great meal. Man, thanks for finding this, whoever. The process is the result. We would never have gotten that result with the old process. Right. The process trapped you from getting the kind of result you wanted. And so we've got to change our process. We've got to change the decision-making process and the information gathering and processing process because right. the results automatically change. Right. So in a hierarchical world, the person with the highest title is considered to be the leader, right? If you go in a meeting and you were to ask the crowd, who's the leader? Steve Jobs. In the auditorium, who's the leader? Steve Jobs. Yeah? Yeah. The truth is, everybody is leading all the time. And the question is, to what? In a political environment, we have sycophants. In a political environment, we have those who always speak after the leader to validate what he said. We have those that are the gatekeepers. We have those who obfuscate. We have those who actually don't want to get on the bus and they'll undermine right? All of those things happen in a business. So we need to go away from this idea that there's a leader, everybody leads all the time. Yeah, in I heard, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting, but I heard a great small technique for a leader to start chipping away at that. And that is, if you are the leader and you're, ho and you're leading a meeting, do not, do not, do not start with your opinion and then go around the table and asking people what they think. Go around the people, instead, go around the table and get in input from everybody from their perspective, not tainted by your leaders, your so-called leaders opinion, because that, uh, that's just asking for, starting the group out with your expectation completely changes the process. Yeah, so let's talk about that meeting. So we go in a meeting and there's eight people there. Carol sits in the back of the room. Carol says nothing. 30 seconds in the meeting, the leader realizes she hasn't said anything. So she goes, Carol, what do you think? Carol comes out with the most brilliant little kernel that had they started the meeting with her, the meeting would have been totally different. And after this has happened six times in a row, the leader might finally say, I'm going to start with Carol. Bill comes and he says something and Bob comes right behind him and every time validates what Bill just said. After the meeting, you might want to put a shoulder, an arm around Bill, you know, Bob's shoulder and say, Bob, I noticed that you're validating Bill with everything he says. I'm really more interested in what you think than what Bill thinks. So I need you when you come to the meeting to actually bring the best of your own thinking, right? So how many leaders do that? How many leaders are self-aware enough to know who's doing what and how to um, 
get that person to actually emerge into their best version of themselves. Right. And, and that all those little tools are necessary. They're, um, they're completely non-negotiable if you're trying to create a organic distributed learning organization, because if the organization's learning, but then in the meetings, um, that's getting squashed. You've, you're wasting all the effort in, of, of trying to gather that information or it goes nowhere. All right. So if we look at, if we look at the traditional definition of leadership, in my opinion, leadership is a subject where there has never been anything written about more and understood less. So I did my, my thesis on what it means to emerge as an authentic leader. I read over 200 books. I did all the academic articles. And I wanted something different. I wanted to add to the literature. And the biggest difference is when I hear people talk about leadership, the first thing they talk about is the outcome for the company. The outcome from the company is management. Leadership is about the internal journey. Who are you? Why do you think you're a leader? What are your values? What principles? What are your red lines? What are you unwilling to compromise What's your awareness of your own emotion in any given situation? Because to the extent that you don't even know what's going on with you, you'll have no idea what's going on with your team. So this social emotional intelligence foundation, according to Harvard Business Review, 92% of successful CEOs are because they have high social emotional intelligence. They can be introvert, they can be extrovert, it doesn't matter. What matters is as things are unfolding, they know what's going on with them and they can take a look and understand what's going on with the team. So instead of this hierarchical play where the manager is, lead, is managed from fear, worried about taking a risk, wondering, always looking over his shoulder, wondering if his job is going to somebody else, in this new world, the leader actually is going to become a coach. It's not for the leader to tell the collective. It's for the collective to emerge with what it thinks is going to be the best. So the way traditional business works today is, in, is deductive. Here's our hypothesis. And then what we do is, to your point, we cherry pick the data that proves exactly where we wanted to go, right? In my world, it's called grounded theory. And in grounded theory, you actually let the facts come up. And when you do a coding process, it, I, it takes the bias out of the game. And so we're not here to validate a thesis. We're actually here to do the investigation to see the thesis actually emerge. And so there, what I'm talking about really is, is almost 180 in terms of what we currently do and the possibility of where we can go. There's no doubt that a collective intelligence will beat any individual every time. Yeah. Right. So take a look at, at a poll today for president. I'm much more interested in what Las Vegas is telling me than I'm interested in the real clear politics. I, yeah, I couldn't agree more that uh, when people put their money on the odds, uh, and then that is aggregated in as close to a uh, fair market 
free market as possible. Um, you'll probably get much better, much better insights by aggregating the collected bets. Um, now you have to, you have to make sure that that is a free market without a lot of market imperfections, but you're absolutely right. Say, uh, we're coming up on time. Is there something you wanted to make sure that we talked about before I ask, uh, before we cut off? Well, the, the only thing I, I want to leave is the message is that whatever your business is currently, whether you're a startup, whether you're in the mid market, whether you're a $400 million company or a multinational, one of the things that I've seen, because I, I benchmark companies in industries, if your company is similar to every other company in the industry, you're playing a market share steal game. It's a zero sum game. And, and what you'll end up doing is pricing manipulation to create margin compression. So what does that mean? If I take a look at L'Oreal, I take a look at Procter & Gamble, and I take a look at seven different consumer product companies, although the absolute number of sales or cost of goods or SG&A, those absolute numbers by company differ, but when you look at the percentage to the total, they're, with, they're within one or two percent. Yeah. If you're going to outperform, you need to change that dynamic. So I'll give you a quick story. I started the first all-natural, no artificial sweetened beverage in the United States. And I did that in early 2002. My first customer was Walmart, and I was in every major grocery store except Kroger within six months and didn't pay a dollar in slotting. If you know anything about consumer grocery and slotting, in a beverage aisle, that's unheard of. Yeah, no kidding. Right? And what I was able to do is I took a look at the industry and decided I was going to think differently. So I put a global supply chain together. I had, a, I had basically a cost of goods of 28%. So I was contacted by Coke and Pepsi and Nestle. And all three of them wanted to know how I was able to do what I had I had gone around every trap that you could identify for a new startup in beverage. And their question was, how were you able to do what you do? You didn't come from here. My question to them is, how can you not do what I'm doing? Right? You're institutionalized. You're in your process and procedure. Pro Once you get processed and procedured, and that's the way we always do it, you're at a loss, yeah. right? So um, yeah, I my, think that's, yeah, that's yeah. really the game. Yeah my, yeah, my quote is, every process that makes you good at doing something makes you bad at doing everything else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this iterative thing, right? I think companies and people, we tend to look at success as binary. I have a $400,000 a year job. I'm a success. I have a $20,000 job and I collect garbage. I'm a failure. No, actually you see... When you have 70 years on you, it's iterative and you make mistakes and you have successes and you keep learning. We're in continuous learning mode. And if we get away from right and wrong or success and failure, we can take more risk. We can accommodate more. We can learn. We can have lessons learned. Go to a corporation and ask them what lessons have been learned in the last year. Not many forensics are done. Yeah, no kidding. 
All right. Well, Dan, what a great conversation. Thank you. How can people get a hold of you and, and uh, make sure that they can start uh, tracking your insight to thrive wisdom and, and the power of your leadership coaching? Sure. Well, thanks for asking. So my email is dan at oneinsighttothrive.com. And the one is a number, not O-N-E. And the two is a number, not T-W-O. So one insighttothrive.com. Great. Well, Dan, thank you so much for, for joining us and for sharing your vision of uh, the future of the learning value-focused company. Uh, and thanks everybody for joining us on the Value Clarity Podcast, where we believe that value only exists in your customer's mind, which means that success in your market sits all in your customer's head. Thanks and have a high value day. Well, it ain't easy, cause value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're gonna drive both of you insane. And if you ignore your customers' outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues, cause you'll be singing those old, don't know value blues. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.